Welcome to the Industries in Motion podcast from RBC Capital Markets, where we'll be exploring what's new and what's next in today's fast-moving markets and industries to help you stay ahead of the curve. Please listen to the end of this podcast for important disclosures. I'm Michael Hall, Head of European Research here at RBC Capital Markets in London, and today I'm joined by Rory Cullinan. Rory has a decade of experience in the industry and joined RBC Capital Markets in 2015. He currently works in the utilities and infrastructure team and has a deep background in transport logistics too, covering the likes of GetLink and DFDS for us. And today we're here to talk about the competitive dynamics in the channel and the UK's government's clampdown on the low-wage ferry operators. Hello, Rory. Hi, Mike. Well, look, I think one of the crux of this is, is, is uh, P&O ferries and what they've been up to. So could you give us a little bit of a background in terms of who they are and what's happened recently? Uh, sure. So uh, P&O ferries, they're owned by DP World and they operate ferry routes in the Irish Sea, North Sea and English Channel, uh, where they compete with GetLink, DFDS and also Irish ferries who are a new entrant on the Dover-Calais route. Uh, now, as you may have seen in the media, P&O Ferries fired 786 employees on the 17th of March without previously consulting unions and rehired agency employees earning just £5.15 per hour on average. Now, clearly, as we've seen in the media, P&O's mass firing prompted a public and political backlash, and the UK government have proposed a number of measures to try to ensure that seafarers operating on British routes are paid the UK minimum wage. P&O ferries have faced legal challenges, both from a former employee, whilst the insolvency service here in the UK have also launched criminal and civil investigations into P&O ferries. Since then, most of the ferry operators' services have been impacted by disruption, both on the channel and elsewhere on their network. Okay, so that's interesting back, background, but if we back up a little bit, I mean, what, what drove these sweeping cost measures by P&O ferries in the first place? Yeah, so P&O Ferries uh, did report a net loss slightly over 100 million in 2020 and even made a small loss in 2019 before passenger numbers were suppressed by the pandemic. Uh, since then, as I mentioned before, that there has been increased competition on the channel from Irish Continental Group's Irish Ferries. And Irish Continental Group have, have long operated this agency model using relatively low-paid international workers on vessels flagged to what may be considered a country of convenience, which can result in reduced employee regulations. In contrast, some other ferry operators, such as DFDS and also Stenoline, have employment conditions that are typically negotiated with unions, with vessels flagged to a country where they are actually operating. That's interesting, but stepping back, Irish ferries have have come into this market. Why would they come into the market, given P&O's results and are so bad and so poor? Yeah, it's an interesting question, um, and, and it hasn't been a lucrative market whilst passenger numbers are suppressed. Uh, although I should note that DFDS generated a 15% ROIC return on invested capital in the channel in 2019. If you go back to 2015 and before that, there was a third ferry operator on the channel, My Ferry Link, and before them, Sea France, who went into liquidation. So the market didn't support it then. Since then, it's not been a growthy market for freight. Generally, we've seen a shift to cheaper driver unaccompanied routes on the North Sea and elsewhere, where you don't have to pay the the truck driver's wages for the duration of the voyage. One unknown opportunity, though, is the uplift to passenger spend following the reintroduction of duty-free sales on the route after Brexit. 
This was a big market for the ferry operators back in the 1990s when duty-free was previously in place. In fact, car crossings were over 40% above 2019 levels at that time. Okay. Um, turning tack again, you, you commented on the political backlash we've all read about. I mean, can you, can you just elaborate how the governments have responded? Yes, yeah, so the UK government um, has been very active and uh, will push internationally for an international minimum wage and also work with other European countries like France to try to establish minimum wage corridors to ensure that ferry operators on British routes pay the UK minimum wage. Clearly, this requires international agreement, and the UK government are also trying to take unilateral action to give British ports powers to refuse access to ferry operators who do not pay the minimum wage. Similarly, the Maritime Coast Guard Agency have also flexed their muscles and detained a number of P&O ferries on safety grounds. And so, you know, the consequence of that then is how, is, is how P&O ferries have actually responded. Yeah, and uh, P&O ferries have signalled that they, they are uh, willing to pay the UK minimum wage if competitors do, although it's not clear they've uh, initiated that yet. Uh, it's worth noting that not all of P&O ferries' uh, planned cost savings came from paying seafarers less than the UK minimum wage. They also planned what they described as a more flexible operating model uh, with altered schedules for, for employees to reduce their overall crewing requirements on some routes. Nonetheless, uh, we think P&O ferries will be making less cost savings than planned. Both labour costs and perhaps also insurance costs may have increased after all these ferries were detained. Uh, as a result, we think there's, they probably have a long road back to profitability given the loss reported in 2020 and also the increased competition that they've faced. We think there's a reasonable chance P&O ferries will have to make further cuts to capacity after axing a route between Hull and Belgium earlier this year. Let's explore that a bit, a bit further, actually. Then the competitive dynamics might not be as severe because P&O ferries can't take as aggressive cost actions as they planned, but you've clearly got Irish ferries in and P&O in with a cheaper cost base. How does that change the competitive dynamics for all the players in, in the channel? Yes, and we, we have been cautious on this market since Irish ferries moved in. It's worth noting, though, that DFDS have been a relatively high-margin ferry operator, along with Irish Continental Group, even with their quite different labour cost base. Uh, that was closely followed by Stenoline, and also uh, whilst P&O ferries were the clear laggard among the ferry operators. Overall, though, we do see P&O ferries' challenges and the political response to their actions as an incremental positive for competitors. Firstly, there's upside from near-term disruption to competitor services. Longer term, though, we think there's upside both from announced and potential further reductions in competitor capacity. Furthermore, we also see scope to win businesses from some custom groups following competitor brand damage. Great, really interesting. Thanks for your time, Rory. Um, it's clearly a live situation, going to evolve over the next coming months, so look forward to hearing more as the year progresses. What else lies ahead in today's ever-evolving markets and industries? We will be keeping track right here on Industries in Motion. Make sure you subscribe to Industries in Motion wherever you listen to your podcast. And thank you for listening to today's episode. Thanks a lot. This content is based on information available at the time it was recorded and is for informational purposes only. It is not an offer to buy or sell or a solicitation, and no recommendations are implied.
It is outside the scope of this communication to consider whether it is suitable for you and your financial objectives.